As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up, turn it on to Luke chapter 3. One of my more favorite commercials that's been out recently is the commercial that features the settlers. Anybody seen that family? They're kind of a family from the 19th century or so that was uh, portrayed like they are Old West settlers. And in one of the commercials, the boy, Jebediah, comes running out of the house and his father is on an old-fashioned, uh, what would you call it? He was plowing the land, like a quarter acre in a suburban land. And the boy comes running out, and he says, uh, Father, why can't we have direct TV? And the father looks at the boy, and he says, Son, we're settlers. We settle for things like cable instead of direct TV. And so the son is dejected, and he says, So we have to live with lower customer satisfaction? And the father says, I'm afraid so. Now go churn us some butter, boy, and then go make your own clothes because we're settlers. Now whether you like the commercial or not, it's very effective marketing because deep down inside, none of us want to be a settler. Yet I'm afraid that sometimes when it comes to Christianity, we often settle. We settle for a Christianity where we think the goal is for us to have a nice life and nice stuff and nice friends. And so the goal of Christianity is just that everything's nice. Instead of a Christianity where the goal is to know God, to make Him known, to use the one and only life that He has given us, to use the blessings that he has brought into our world in a way that honors him. We settle for a cup of coffee, catching up with friends, and hearing a nice talk. When the goal of worship is to encounter God, to hear God speak, to worship the living God, to pray to him, to give to him, to acknowledge him, and to change ultimately to be more like him. So here's the main idea that I hope that you leave with today. And that is when it comes to God, don't be a settler. When it comes to your relationship with God, never settle for the things of Christianity and miss out on the God of Christianity. We're in this series that I've called The Royals. And in this series, we've been looking at the family into which the King of Kings, Jesus, was born. Getting to know a little bit about Jesus' family. Now, one of the things that has struck me about this family is that they had two miracle babies that were born. The first, you know about Jesus. You know about Mary and Joseph and the birth of Jesus. The second miracle baby was a boy by the name of John. He was Jesus' cousin. By the time we get to Luke chapter 3, the two boys have now grown up. It appears that during his 20s, Jesus was running the carpenter shop in Nazareth. John, on the other hand, he grew up to be somewhat of a mountain man. He was one of those guys that just spends a lot of time out in the wilderness. I envision him as a cross between Bear Grylls and Jace Robertson. You know, he he was a tough guy, a strong guy, an outdoorsman. If he were to walk into the scene in today's clothing, he would probably be dressed in camo with boots and have a 
big beard and just be an outdoorsman. Well, John come, or God comes to John, and he speaks to him in John chapter 3. Look with me there. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Eturia, and Draconitus, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. Did anybody catch that? Abilene. There it is, right there in the New Testament, right there close to where Jesus lived, was Abilene. You probably never knew that Jesus very likely visited Abilene. Tomorrow, the kids and the wife and our family, we're going to get in the car and we're going to go to Grandma's house and we're going to go through Abilene. And now, because I know that it's in the Bible and Jesus went to Abilene, I'm going to stop in Abilene. I'm going to go to the Chick-fil-A because you know if Jesus went to Abilene, he went to the Chick-fil-A because that's just what Christians do. We go to Chick-fil-A and get a chicken sandwich and waffle fry. I'm kidding here. This is a different Abilene, but there is an Abilene in the Bible. Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John. So God spoke. God's word came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, it's important for you to understand here, when it comes to God, He is the initiator. I think a lot of times in our Christian life, we try to make decisions and then ask God to come along. And I even see this with big decisions. People that are Christians that spend a lot of time in church, they love the Lord, but they'll make really big decisions. They'll never even pray about Him first. And so it may be a good idea that you have, but you've never really sought the Lord's direction on this. We're always thankful for those that are guests that are visiting uh, our church. And one of the things that I've learned about people that are new to the church is there's always a story whenever you walk in the door. It might be that you're new to the community. It might be that you are going through a life change. It might be that you've had some type of hurt in a, in a previous church, but there's always a story that comes with people whenever they walk through the doors, and as they search for a church home, the, the best advice that I can possibly give you is to listen to the voice of God, to spend time in prayer and following the leadership of God. You know, there's a lot of great churches in our area, a lot of wonderful ministries that meet various needs, but ultimately the biggest question that we have to ask is where does God want me? Because where God wants me, I want to be there. We have to make sure that we don't just try to get God to follow our agenda, but that we allow God's agenda to be spoken to us and revealed to us, that we don't just come up with ideas and then ask God to come along, because it's possible for you to be doing good things, but they're not the good things that God has called you to do. And then you spend all your time settling for good whenever God has called you to His very best. Well, in verse 3, John's call from God led him to go into all the vicinity of Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, I want you to notice three things here about what God said to John. Number one, the location. He was called to the Jordan River area to preach. Now, a lot of times whenever we think God is calling us to something, we, we always uh, immediately go far away. We think God's calling me to uh, this remote part of the country or God's calling me 
internationally or something of that nature. And that is true that God calls people in that way. I, I think about the Apostle Paul and his call to international missions. I think about uh, the Great Commission and how Jesus sent his disciples out to the ends of the earth. But I also want you to notice that John was called to his home area. He was called to be a missionary and a minister right where he grew up. And wherever you are, God has called you to be a missionary. I use that term around here, one church in 500 locations, because wherever you are, that's where the church is. And whenever you're going through day-to-day activities right here in our community, you are to be a missionary, an ambassador for God as you go. Secondly, notice, John was called to be a preacher. Now, let me take just a little bit of a jaunt, but it is also inherent within the passage that I'm looking at today. A a preacher proclaims the Word of God, and then he also applies God's truth to life. There are a lot of people out there today that are motivational speakers that are disguised as preachers. What they say is good and it's inspiring, but it's not driven by the Bible. It's driven by their own thoughts, and then they just attach a few verses to it. And then there's other guys that go to Google Seminary, and and then they buy five or six books written by Charles Spurgeon. They read two, three blogs, and they grow a long beard, and they drink lots of coffee and call themselves a preacher. A good preacher looks at a passage of Scripture. He encourages you to understand the Scripture that you're looking at. He talks about the passage of Scripture in context, so you're not just throwing things to an idea. You're trying to drive your ideas from the context. You talk about what God is saying to us in the passage, and then you apply the truth of the passage to people's lives. And and a good preacher should be able to do that using words that you can understand. And he should be able to do that before lunch. Amen? You know? Uh, Now, I say all that just because there's a lot of stuff out there. I don't try to be critical of my brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's a lot of stuff out there on the radio, in bookstores, things like that, under the umbrella of Christianity. And just because something's under the umbrella of Christianity doesn't mean that it's healthy. You've got to be careful, and you have to begin developing some filters so that you can understand what is healthy Christianity and what is not. Now, thirdly, I I want you to notice his message. He preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That word, repentance, there's a New Testament word, a Greek word called metaaneo, which means a change of mind. There's an Old Testament Hebrew word called shuv, which means a change of will. Whenever we build together this word, repentance, It requires a change of mind that is also a change of the will. It's a turning of directions from rebellion against God to obedience to God, from thinking about lies to thinking about truth. Repentance, when it occurs in your life and mine, always results in a change of heart and a change of life. He called them to a baptism of repentance on July the 10th. Whenever we pick back up here, I'm going to break down what baptism is. But ultimately, I I want you to see today that that it was an outward sign of the repentance that was to be taking place within. And so John tells them 
uh, that you are to repent, and the outward sign that you are repenting is that you will be baptized by water. And then John, because he's a good preacher, he then encouraged them to look at Scripture. And so John starts quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. Look at Luke 3 and verse 4. He says, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. So John says, I'm the one that is preparing the path for the way of the Lord. In ancient times, whenever a king would travel, they would send out a work crew ahead of the king. Now, you can imagine what ancient roads must have been like. So what the work crew would do is they would remove tree limbs, they would remove rocks, they would try to make sure that when the king traveled to the village that the travel was smooth, and and they would prepare the village to welcome the king and to know that he was coming. So John says, this is my role. I am the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way for the Lord. But then look at verse 5. Here's the king that's about to come. Every valley will be filled, and every mountain and hill will be made low, and the crooked will become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. So John says to his audience, you need to understand that we're not just moving tree limbs and filling potholes here. The king that I am preparing the way for Whenever he comes, he's going to fill the valleys. He's going to make the mountains low. He's going to straighten the crooked land. He's going to smooth out the rough land. And everyone will see the salvation of God. Zero in on that for me. Everyone will see the salvation of God. Did you know that the ground is level when you stand before the cross? When you stand in front of Jesus and you understand that he died for your sins, that he overcame death so that you might be forgiven and you might have salvation in him, that the ground is level whenever you stand before the cross. At the cross, you may have money. You may have cash in your bank account. But those dollars have no value at the cross. They are unable to purchase your salvation. What you have is need, need of a Savior. At the cross, you may have education, you may have skill, but you are unemployable, unable to work for your salvation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you have, rich or poor, white or black, American, non-American, Whoever you are, at the cross, the ground is level. And we are all simply sinners in need of salvation. And I am so thankful that everyone will see the salvation of God in Christ. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Salvation is available to you. The ground is level at the cross. You say, but Lash, I've I've done things in my past, and I don't know that God can forgive me. The ground is level at the cross. Jesus Christ died for you. There is forgiveness. There is grace. God's love is extended to you through the cross. Salvation is available to everyone. 
And what God asks from us is that we will turn from our sin and place our trust and faith in Him. He doesn't ask you to be perfect. He asks you to trust in the one who is perfect and to find salvation in Him. In verse 7, John the Baptist has heard from the Lord. He has talked about his text there in Isaiah chapter 40. And now he's going to talk to them about their life. In verse 7, he says to the crowd who came out to be baptized by him. Now, these are the people coming out to be baptized. He says, brood of vipers. How would you like it if I began my sermon that way next week? Good morning, brood of vipers. How are we doing today? Okay. So he says, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't start saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. Even now the axe is ready to strike the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Have you seen any snakes lately? Anybody seen any snakes this year? Uh, I I like to run, and I run this HOA trail that runs through uh, Woodbridge Golf Course, and it it gets underneath the trees, and it goes through Muddy Creek. And so this year, there have been just like snakes everywhere. For some reason, there's not many people out running on that trail anymore. But anyway, there's snakes. I've probably seen like 25 snakes this year as I've been running. Well, one of the things that I've gotten good at is, first of all, dancing a little bit, you know, Baptist preacher that dances whenever you see the snake. But the other thing that I've noticed is that the snake sees you coming, it slithers away because the snake thinks I'm dangerous, you know. So the snakes worry. And so John's talking to his crowd here and he's saying, okay, you didn't just get baptized because you're afraid of the wrath that might be coming your way. Your baptism, your repentance needs to be more than just you running from God's wrath. And John talks to the ones that he has baptized, and he says, don't think that just because you've gone through the action of getting dunked that everything is okay. Baptism was to symbolize the repentance that is in that was in their heart, and true repentance will always lead to a changed life. Now, here's what John's audience thought. John's audience thought that because they were Abraham's descendants, that they were chosen people, that they were loved by God more because they were the descendants of Abraham. And because they do religious things, they go to the temple, they give, they pray, they do, they honor the feast. And because they did all those things, they thought, well, well, we're good with God. Sometimes we think that because we're Texans, we're God's chosen people, right? And because we're, we're descendants of, you know, Davy Crockett, whoever, you know, we're God's chosen people. And we go to church and we pray and we get baptized. And because of all that, I'm good with God. But understand this, genuine salvation will always lead to a changed life. Baptism, going to church, giving, praying, all those things are good things. You should be doing them. But you do those things because God has transformed your heart. Simply doing the things with an empty heart is just religious activity. God wants more than you just doing religious things. God wants you. So the crowd responds to John in verse 10. What then should we do? And he replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food 
must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he told them, Don't collect any more than you have been authorized. And some soldiers also questioned him, What should we do? And he said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. Be satisfied with your wages. I I think we see here three marks of genuine Christianity. We see, he, he says to the descendants of Abraham, who have received blessing from God, you, you need to be generous. He, sees, he says to the tax collector, you need to be honest. And he says to the soldier, you need to be content. Generosity is a mark of a true Christian. When we understand that God blesses us to be a blessing, there's a lot of different ways God blesses you. He may have blessed you uh, with, with experience. Certainly, He's blessed you with spiritual gift. God blesses you to be a blessing. God may have blessed you with uh, resources. God blesses you to be a blessing. This, this is one of the things that astounds me about, about the Christian world, is that the greatest gift that we could possibly receive is grace. God has given us grace. Even though we were not deserving, God extended to us His favor. And yet grace is sometimes one of the last things we're willing to extend to somebody else. And I don't get that. I don't get why Christians sometimes feel the need to cannibalize our own. Why we, need, we feel the need to just tear other people down and always just criticize and, and, and always just have a negative perspective. You have been saved by grace. God has extended to you grace. Do you realize that there are no perfect people in this room? We are who we are because of the grace of God. And whenever you understand that God has extended to you grace, shouldn't you too be generous in extending grace to others as well? We also should be honest. The tax collectors were known as the most dishonest people in town. And John says to them, you need to be honest. You need to be honest in your business dealings. You need to be honest at school and not cheat. You need to be honest with your family. The soldiers were known for coming in and taking things that didn't belong to them. They would take your land. They would take your resources. And then once they occupied your land, they would falsely accuse you of something. And you had to either give them what they wanted or they could arrest you and punish you and even kill you. And he says to those soldiers, you need to learn to be content with the wages that you have received. Well, verse 15 says, now the people were waiting expectantly and all of them were debating in their mind whether John might be the Messiah. So they were starting to think, Maybe this is the Son of God. This is the one that we've been waiting for them. So John kind of reads their mind, and he answers them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. And notice this, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You want to know the mark that the Messiah has come When the Messiah comes, he's going to baptize you with more than water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. 
those of you that know your Bible pretty well, think about the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down upon the believers. It was a sign that the Messiah had come. He's also going to baptize those that are unbelievers with the purifying fire of God. Verse 17 speaks to that. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn up with a fire that never goes out. And then along with many other exhortations, John proclaimed good news to the people. John the Baptist had become a national sensation. Everybody was talking about John. The grocery stores couldn't keep locusts in stock. Everybody wanted to be like John. They were all wearing camel hair tunics. Uh, John the Baptist was a bestseller on Amazon 10,000 people every week would come to River Point Church to hear him preach. This was good stuff. John the Baptist was doing great things, but John says to his crowd, don't you dare settle for me. I am not the Messiah. I am not the one that God has brought to bring salvation to all. I baptize you with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit of God. John says, don't settle for me. In biblical days, a slave at the end of the day would take off his master's sandal and wash his feet. John says, I'm not even worthy to take off the sandal of the one that comes after me. Don't settle for something good whenever God wants you to have his best. Don't settle for the forms of Christianity whenever God wants to give you himself. As a kid growing up, I used to get really excited when my dad would bring home uh, brisket from Sam's. He would get the brisket that Sam stores in the freezer. It's cut really, really thin, and I thought, man, this is good stuff. And then whenever I grew up, I discovered that that brisket is horrible. Because I discovered Hutchins Barbecue up in McKinney, and I discovered Central Texas Barbecue, and I discovered there's some good brisket out there. I think often we think something is really great until we discover the real deal. My kids think the sandbox is great. They've never been to the beach. We go to Lake Ray Hubbard, and we think, man, this is awesome. And then you go to the ocean. You... uh. You think your home state, a lot of you move from different states, you think your home state is great, and then you move to Texas. You're like, whoa. Remember back whenever you thought those little 27-inch TVs, those regular 27-inch TVs were awesome? Hey, honey, we can put this in our living room. We can watch this clear across the living room. Look, it's even got a clicker. You thought that was great. And now you got HDTV. You remember your Motorola flip phone? They call it a razor. I look cool when I have this flip phone, you know. And now we have our iPhones and all these things. You remember Mapsco? Yeah, you, I remember Mapsco. The book for Dallas was like this thick, and I saw it, and I was like, wow, you can find any street. I'll never get lost with this. I, I had one in my car. I'd be going to see people in the hospital or going to visit people in the church, and I would, like, pull over the side and look at, okay, 35E. This is incredible. This is unbelievable. I, I get there, uh, and, and now you have Google Maps, and you're like, I don't need a Mapsco anymore. I remember when I threw away my Mapsco. Saved a few trees. When it comes to God, my fear is that 
we will settle for something pretty good. But it's not God. They will settle for, hey, I, I have a good Christian life. Uh, God's blessed me with a, a family, and I have a house, and I have a car, and I have children, and I have a, a church, and I, I believe in God. I, I have a good life group class. I, I, I got the greatest teacher in my life group class. I just really enjoy seeing those people. And, and, and man, we got good children's ministry to church. I mean, preaching's okay, but everything else is good. And, and I teach my children about Jesus, and, and I just have this great Christian life. And all that stuff is good. I'm not discounting any of that. But that's not God. And God says, I want you to know me. I want to be your father. I I want you to have a relationship with me. I I want you to hear my voice. I I, I want to stretch you. I I want to grow you. I want to use you for my glory. I, I want to put you in positions that demand of you faith so that you can do something for me that honors me. God calls us to recognize our basic need of Him. Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, writes, If you want God's grace, all you need is need. All you need is nothing. But that kind of spiritual humility is hard to muster. We come to God saying, look at all I've done, or maybe look at all that I've suffered. God, however, wants us to look to Him to just wash. And my, my prayer for you today is that you'll understand that God doesn't just give us a Christian life. He gives us himself. And God doesn't just give us things to do. He makes all things new. He transforms us from the inside out so that Our identity is found in Christ, and the entire world in which we live is seen through the cross of Christ. And I want to encourage you to never settle for the things of Christianity and miss the God of Christianity. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads and we come to a time of commitment? You may be here today, and God has shown you today that He desires to save you. And you need to take that first step of faith when, when you repent of sin and place faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. If that's where you are, I'm going to invite you during this next song to come and see me. I'll be standing right here at the front. I would love to pray with you and encourage you be a pastor to you today. If there's anything that I may pray with you about in your life, it's my joy to do so during this next hymn. I'll be here after the service as well. Let's pray, and then after we pray, we will respond to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your grace and its richness. And we pray, Lord, that as it it lands in our hearts, that it might change us. I ask that you will help us to be generous people, help us to be honest people. Help us, Father, also to be content with the life that you have given us. But help us, Lord, to be discontent with merely going through the motions. Father, may we never be satisfied or never settle for those things that are the appearances of Christianity but are not you. Help us, Lord, to know you, to walk with you. Help us, Lord, to be more like you. Father, help us to wash in your grace and wash in your forgiveness.
and know that in you we are new creations and you have made all things new. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these friends of mine. I pray your blessing upon them and I pray that we may know you more. In Jesus' name.